morning, everyone. Appreciate that. Worship the remix was awesome. I feel like I need to preach to a background track or something. But we're going to make it work either way. Welcome today. I hope everyone had a great holiday and a wonderful time celebrating with family and friends. Uh, I'm still dealing with some of the effects of eating leftover Thanksgiving food. So if I seem a little bit off, I'm okay. It's just, you know what I'm saying, we're going to figure it out. But we're going to continue our talk in Hebrews today. And we're going to go into Hebrews 11 and really talk about what many call the Hall of Faith. And it's a series of stories of people doing very faithful and amazing things for God for a reward that, that we all hope for. And I want to set the stage for this chapter. As we've talked about before, one of the challenges with some of the books, and I think this chapter may be one of the riskiest ones, we can get so excited about the story that we miss the point of it, that we miss the message. We forget that we're in the middle of a talk with a group of people that were battling and wrestling for their faith in Jesus, that are being called to go back and not to, to waver, not to fall short in their faith, not to drift in their faith in Jesus. And we can get excited about the stories and miss the call that's being held there. And so I want to set the stage from the very beginning. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And I want you to grasp that, man, this is what it's all about. Having faith, having belief, having confidence, being sure of something that you can't see happening. And I want you to imagine that there, if you could see it happen, there's no reason for faith, right? Like nobody says, I hope Christmas comes, <laughs> right? We know Christmas is coming. Now you may say, I hope I get what I want for Christmas because you're not confident in it, you know? Some of us may even say, I hope I don't gain weight on Christmas because we, we're battling what we'll do and even maybe hoping that magically, no matter how much we eat, God will provide some kind of a way for that meal to come off. But we don't need faith that Christmas will come because we know the date will come. Now, I could imagine that some may feel like, man, I hope that I make it. There may be things going on in our lives. I know my... Uh, I've, I've talked about her a ton of times. My grandmother is 95 years old now. Amazing woman, still gets around, still walks around, still goes out, still hangs out the whole nine yards. But every year we're like, man, we want to celebrate birthdays and events like this might be her last one. You know what I mean? So sometimes we get to that place where we hope we make it, but we're hoping on things and we're putting our faith in things we're not sure about. But there's a challenge that comes up, and I think this is part of what the Hebrew people, the people that they're addressing in Hebrews, were, were challenged with that we can sometimes be challenged with too. And it's, where is our faith? And I want you to imagine some of the things that we can hope for, some of the things that we can pray for. You know, we think about our finances. And this could be anything from, man, I hope that I'm able to meet these bills. I'm hoping that I'm able to make sure our mortgage is covered. 
We're going through something challenging to, man, I hope I can get this thing that I want. I really want this new car. God, bless me with this new car. Bless me with the finances to get this new thing, this new house, to update my house, to fix my house, whatever the case may be. We can hope for and pray for. And I'm not saying that this is bad at all. But these are things we can hope for. You know, we can hope for advances in our career. I hope this. I pray, God, my faith is that this project will go great. My faith is that I'll get a raise or a promotion. This, we pray for these things. We desire for them to happen. We want them to happen. And so we put our hearts out there for them. Man, for, for love, relationships, the whole nine yards, man, I hope I find someone to spend the rest of my life with. Oh, man, God, I'm faithful. I'm praying that we can work things out in our relationships. I'm praying, I'm, I'm hoping that my family, uh, uh, that we fix things in our family. We desire these things. We pray for these things. We hope for them. We put our faith that God is able to make something happen for our health. Man, I'm praying that, that I'll get better, that this person I love will be healed. I'm praying that you'll take care of this, God. My faith is that you'll take care of this. I know you're able. I know you have the power. But we got to ask ourselves, where is our faith? What are we really hoping for? One of the things Mike mentioned recently, uh, a couple weeks ago when he was preaching, I believe it was Mike, he said, man, are we hoping for things that God didn't promise? Are we getting upset because we didn't get something that God never said he would guarantee? And this isn't that he doesn't work in these areas, but imagine what if God says, you know what? I don't want you to get that thing that you really desire. I don't want you to get that object that you have. What if God says right now is not the time, right? I don't want to see that happen in your life. There's something that I'm worried about. If you get that extra money, if you get that item, you may put your faith in that and not in me. If you get that extra money, you may think that that takes care of you, and I'm ready to take care of you already, and I want you to see that I'm ready to take care of you. What about that job? What if he doesn't want you to get that promotion because he knows this will distract you? The hours that you have to put in, the amount of work that you have to put in, the amount of time you have to put in to do it, I know it'll pull you away from the things you really love and pull you away from me. And I don't want to give it to you because I know what it'll do for you in the long run. Or what about that relationship? What if it's that, man, I just need a great example of someone who'll be faithful when all they have is me. I need you to show what it looks like to love without having that spouse that everybody looks for, without having that relationship that everybody looks for. I want you to, what if he's saying, I just want you to be faithful with just me? Or what about your health? What if he says, I'm not going to take that away? What if, God forbid, that loved one does pass? Where is your faith? This is part of the battle in Hebrews, right? Because they became disciples. They were following Jesus. They were doing what Jesus said, and things weren't going so easy for them. Things were challenging for them. In fact, it seemed as if things were more challenging now than before they decided to follow Christ. And all of us suddenly taking Christ out of the equation might be a little bit easier, might be less challenging. 
And they were just, and even maybe just some of the battles of wrestling with the things that we grew up with our whole lives and their beliefs and their, their thought processes. And if they took that away, man, it, it would be easier. We wouldn't have to wrestle with this anymore. And for us, we got to worry, we got to ask ourselves, what will it mean if we don't get those things that we could potentially put our faith and our hope in? Here's what James says about it. He says, therefore, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. And while we may feel like God is not being faithful at times, he may be making decisions to help us build our faith, to help us remain faithful. He may be making decisions to hold on to us, but we have to make sure we're not wrestling, we're not getting discouraged, we're not fighting with the fact that we didn't get what we want. And we've seen it before. We've, I would imagine many of us have even been through it before. You know you're mad at God, but it's easier to fight with a person. You know you're frustrated with God, but it's easier to talk about what the church is doing. You know you're frustrated that you didn't get your raise or promotion, so now you hate your job or whatever the case may be. And we get angry at all these things when God may be doing something great for us if we don't lose our faith. And here's where we get into in Hebrews, where they're wrestling with these things, they're going through these things, and hopefully you can connect with it a little bit more as we look at these stories of faith these remarkable decisions on being faithful through Hebrews 11. It says in verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. And I want to dig into some of these, not all of them, for time's sake, but I want to dig into some of these. And, and this one with uh, Abel is just, it's a fascinating story on faith. But we might even miss the faithful story because of everything else that goes on with it. And Hebrews brings, brings us back to the faithful part. Because right when we read about Cain and Abel, oftentimes who do we think about the most? Cain, right? We talk about what he did and how you don't want to go that way. But the faithful piece is Abel. And here's what the story says. It says, Adam made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And here's the fascinating part about this. You think about what Cain and Abel had at this time. And even as we look at this struggle, oftentimes we go to this point, and we look at where Cain kind of messed up. And, and there's a piece as I was reading this again where I'm like, I wonder if God was really disappointed in Cain at this point. I wonder if he was really looking at Cain in a negative way at this point. 
Because here's the reality. At this point, from what we can tell in the scriptures, they didn't have really any guidance. It wasn't like they were told what to do. There was no instructions on how to give an offering. There was no commandments on this is what your offering should look like. All they had was just their heart and their faith. And even if you look at how the story reads, that word favor, and I forgot, I should have written it down in here. I'm not the, the word person all the time. It's something like shah or something on those lines. But when you look at it, it says God looked at Abel's offering with favor. And it's this sense of he looked at it and he was just amazed. And he was just almost like excited. And he looked at it with just this awe of the offering that Abel got, gave. And I wonder if there's a piece where it wasn't so much he was discouraged by Cain as he was fascinated that Abel got it. That Abel's faith, his heart said, they both had the heart to say, I want to give to God, right? But they both had to work for their gifts. And it appears that Abel's heart was like, I trust you, God. I believe in you, God. I'm okay giving you the best because I know you're the one that's taking care of me from the beginning. They both had the heart to give, but it looks like Cain's heart was like, well, you know what? I kind of want to hold on to the best portions, but I still want to give to you, God. And so he gave, but it wasn't the best. And as, Cain, as God looked at their offerings, he looked at Abel's offerings and said, wow, I'm amazed that he gets it. And we look at these scriptures, and he doesn't say anything about there's nothing in the Bible that says God was disappointed in Cain. God looked down on Cain's offering. God was discipling Cain. God was punishing Cain. He just was so amazed at Abel's offering. And then it says in Genesis 4, 6, Abel also brought an offering of fat portions from the firstborn. The Lord looked with favor, uh, but on, oh, okay. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And this is where God kind of steps in. And he asked Cain, why are you angry? You know what I mean? Because now there's this worry about the sin. Now there's this worry about the struggle. And Cain is wrestling, and it says his face was downcast. If you look up those words, it talks about how, you know what I mean, uh, it's kind of confusing. It's a weird word. It, it says that it's a word that's singular, or that's plural, but always used as singular. I don't know if it's saying your face changes in different directions, but it has hints of there was jealousy there. there. It was a fire. There was a burning fire of emotions, but negative emotions because of what was going on. And I wonder if God didn't, wasn't so amazed by Abel's offering, if there even would have been a challenge. But now Cain is saying, I see what Abel has, and I don't have that. And now I'm angry. And now I'm frustrated. You know what I mean? But it tells us by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. And here's the amazing part. God didn't save Abel. He asked Cain, why are you angry? But he allowed him to commit his sin. You know what I mean? He didn't stop him. He, even though Abel made the right decision. He didn't say, oh, because of your faith, I'm going to hurt Cain and allow you to live. No, he allowed Cain to commit the sin so that his message, his story 
will go on for generation after generation, and they will be able to see this amazing story of faith, even though he doesn't get the reward. You'll see that later in Hebrews. And he lives in heaven for eternity, right? He still lives on, but he wasn't there with his family anymore. And we have to ask ourselves as we read this story, is that good enough? Like, are we okay with that? Abel was the faithful one. Abel did the right thing, and God allowed him to die and came to live because he wanted this amazing story. Is that good enough for us? Because that's the real faithful piece of Cain and Abel. We continue on, it says, by faith Enoch was taken from his life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, we don't know a lot about Enoch. Here's what Genesis tells us. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. And here's the amazing part. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. And that's all we know. We could imagine, man, his family may have been hurt that now he's not with them anymore. His family may have been sad that he was gone. But because of his faith, God said, man, this is going to be the end of your story right now. You know, I was reading this. Uh, I was listening to this song. It's not. I always use rap like it's some kind of poetic, but it is to me. This is King Jesus part two. If you like rap, it's a great song. Even my kids love it. But there's this part where he says, he's talking about his life and how he grew up in this rough neighborhood. And he says, uh, me and I mean, we're preaching the king. This dude disagreed and pulled out a weapon. Then he says, I mean, looked over at me, said, we ain't going to leave. What they going to do, send us to heaven? Recognizing that if that's the punishment, then we have no reason. That's a reward. You know what I mean? Like, if that's the worst that they can do, why should we be afraid? But the challenge is sometimes we think of dying as a punishment. Of dying is such a negative thing, almost like dying is a curse. But if you're really faithful, you recognize that that's the reward. And don't get me wrong, I know Hebrews 11, I didn't write it. This is a reckless chapter, right? This is a challenging chapter. I'm sure there's a lot of us that's like, man, what does this say about people? People shouldn't be going out there trying to die. But there was something that the people, that the, Old, that the New Testament people realized, that the Old Testament people realized, that look, we don't have to be a of this. This doesn't have to dictate where our faith goes. This doesn't have to limit our faith. And dying isn't a punishment. Dying isn't a consequence. Dying is the reward. It says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, and holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. 
And I, and I want to tell you about Noah. Like, this, is, this in itself is an amazing story. He's building this ark in a place where there's no rain that would call for an ark. Right? And it's not like he's doing this overnight and, like, maybe nobody notices and then tomorrow it's going to rain. It took time. People, I'm, people challenged him. People questioned him. But he still continued to be faithful. He still continued to hold on to it. I want to talk a little bit about Abraham's faith. You know, Abraham had a legacy of faithful acts. He didn't just have one thing that he did. He had a legacy of faithful acts. His faith spread to his sons. His faith spread to his wife. You know, even though he didn't live to see it all, his faith spread to us. And all of these things that God promised came, even though Abraham didn't get to see them. And there's a the section on Abraham is missing. Check out Hebrews. You'll see it. <laughs> it's in there. Trust me. But in Hebrews 11, it says, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that, they prom- that was promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God who has prepared a city for them. What does it mean to have a legacy of faith? Think first, you got to ask yourself, what are you living for? What is your ultimate goal here on this earth during this time? Is it a great career? Is it a great education? Right? Is it to see how much you can make or how much you can obtain? Is it to have an amazing relationship? And not that these can't be goals, but what ultimately are you living for? Is heaven a part of that goal. It's having the most important thing in that goal. If you have kids, ask your kids, right? What do we talk about is the most important thing, right? And even if they say, God, ask them, what do I push the most? What do I challenge you on the most? Do they match up? What are we living for? What's your limit? You know, me and Charlene, uh, my wife, if you don't know my wife, Charlene, amazing woman, uh, uh, we were reading this book that calls, oh my gosh, why am I going blank now? It's called Habit, The Habits of a Family. That's what it's called. It's called The Habits of a Family. And there's this piece in there where he's talking about his relationship with his kids and how he loses patience with them. And he says, the reality is, it's not that I don't have any more patience but I get to a point where I say, I'm not going to be patient anymore. And I want you to think about that when it comes to our faith. What's your limit? What's the point where you say, this is where my faith stops? Because as disciples, it's not that we don't have access to this unlimited, abundant amount of faith, but there's a point in our lives where we say, I can't be faithful beyond this. This is where my faith stops. And I would even challenge us to look at if we've decided that point before we've even entered the event. 
Think about when you watch the news or TV and you see somebody did something to somebody. Have you ever said to yourself, if that happens to me, God just don't have to forgive me. <laughs> you set a limit on your faith. Have you ever said, if they do this to me, if my wife cheats on me, there's no way I could forgive her. Set a limit on your faith. If somebody hit me like that, turn the other cheek? Yeah, right. <laughs> Before we even enter the event, sometimes we've already set a limit on what it means to be faithful. And maybe we should be more challenged to say, man, when we see these things, prepare ourselves, train ourselves, right? Okay, I see that. What's the most faithful thing that could happen? What Really, let's really ask ourselves this question. Not the commercial way, but when I look at the scriptures, what did Jesus really do on those situations? You know what I mean? When he was approached by a certain person, what did Jesus really do? And let that be the standard of our faith. Let that be the limit of our faith. And work backwards if you have to. But what's your limit to your faith? And ask yourself, is heaven enough? Right? If you don't get that job, if your health declines, if you don't become a millionaire, I haven't made it yet, just so you know. <laughs> is heaven enough? Even if it comes down to it, and this is probably the biggest challenge for us, if God decides that this is our last day, whether he takes you out like Enoch and you float through the skies and Wave to everybody goodbye. Or he takes you out. You know, Abel was beaten to death as a faithful act. Is heaven enough? Will you, can you say, or if that happens to someone you love, can you say, God, I'm still faithful. I still trust in you. I still believe in you. Is heaven enough? Are we okay with that? You know, I like this scripture. It's, it's, we're going to close kind of here. But this is, I love this because it, it kind of hits this piece where after they put out that challenge that none of them received their rewards, to me, this is an example of how do you build a legacy of faith. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God has said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. And why do I think this is the greatest example? Because oftentimes when we face these challenges of faith, the first thing we start to think about is what bad can happen. It's how God may not get us out of this situation. But what Abraham does is he starts to picture ways that God could save him, ways that God would show himself faithful despite the situation. This was his only son. This was the promise. This son was the promise, and God is asking him, not to let him take it away, but I want you to give up the promise that I gave you. And Abraham knows God is faithful. God is true. 
He's going to bring him back if I give him up. Here's the amazing part about it. Oh, it got skipped out. The amazing part about it is Abraham was absolutely wrong. That's not what God did. God sent him another sacrifice so he wouldn't have to kill his son. But see, he's showing us an example of what it means to be faithful. You don't sit and think of what God might not do. You think of ways God can be faithful in a challenging situation. You think of what God could possibly do. You think of the most, the, the ways you couldn't imagine, right? And you ask yourself, what could God be doing in this situation that I wouldn't even think would be possible? But because it's God, I know he's going to be faithful. And that's the way we live our lives, knowing that God is enough, knowing that heaven is enough. In conclusion, we got to put our hope in God, not in what God can give us or what God can do for us. Not that God doesn't, not that God won't at times, but our faith should be in God and who God is. We have to recognize heaven is our true reward. Going to heaven is not a punishment. That is the reward. That's what, that's what we should be hoping for. Right? That's the goal, right? If there's anything else, if you're thinking about, man, this might be the end for me, and you start to think, but I haven't, whatever comes after that, you missed the point. That is the reward. You know, if you continue on, it talks about Moses, who never made it into the promised land. I guarantee you, when Moses was sitting there uh, uh, at the day of transfiguration, talking to Jesus, he never asked him, you know, why did your dad do that? Like, I really wanted to see what that grass looked like on the other side. Like, I guarantee you he wasn't thinking about it. He had received a greater reward. Don't limit your faith. Don't set your level of faith by you. Allow God, allow Jesus to be the standard for where your faith can go. And through that, we'll be able to live not only for us, but for others around us, for our kids, for our friends, for our family, a legacy of faith that will pass on to them. And that's the absolute least. Whether they see it and say, I'm going to follow it or not, they won't be able to say that you weren't faithful. As we conclude and we think about the cross, I want us to just consider that this is what Jesus died for. This is what it was all about. Not for us to get rewards here, Though we are taken care of here, but for us to reach that ultimate reward, that reward that when you receive it, nothing else matters. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for you. We're so thankful for you. Not just because of what you've done, even though you've blessed our lives tremendously. Personally, I can specifically look at the day I got baptized and see how it changed my life in a direction I could never imagine. And I'm sure many, if not all of us, who follow you today can do the same. But God, it's not just because of what you've done. We're so grateful because of who you are, your love for us, your sacrifice for us, that allows us to even say that we can be faithful to you, that allows us to even say we can have a relationship with you, that allows us to be confident that we're loved by you and gives us the ability to love you in return. We're so grateful, God. We're so thankful, God. 
help that in all of our hearts, heaven truly will be enough. Even as we go after other goals and accomplishments, that nothing would ever be more important than someday being able to be with you. We love you, God. We thank you, God. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.